Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. Are you thinking of starting a telemedicine practice or are you thinking of adding telemedicine to your practice? Either way, it's confusing and it keeps changing, usually for the better, but it's a lot to keep track of. And my guest today helps practices start and add telemedicine to their own practice, and he's going to give us uh, a little bit of insight on it. I'm Carl White, Principal at Mark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency, and I'm also the host of Practice Care. And the mission for both is the same, and that's to help private practice owners stay private. Not only is that what they want, but let's face it, If your doctor owns the place, your provider owns the place, they've got the most freedom they're going to have to make the clinical decisions that are best for you and to work with you on those, as opposed to when they work for somebody else and eventually their agenda creeps in. And we don't like that. We want you to stay private so that you can make good decisions for your patients. And my guest today is Scott Radigan. Scott is a licensed attorney, business and mindset coach, integrated medicine practice consultant. His passion is helping integrative and functional medicine providers build and grow their practices to realize their goals and fall back in love with practicing medicine. He founded a company called Functional Lawyer to address the lack of legal support in the functional medicine practitioner community. It gives providers the tools to protect themselves and build solid legal and business foundations that allow them to grow with confidence, free from anxiety, and focus on changing the lives of their patients without exorbitant legal fees. Scott also hosts a podcast called the Junto Club, J-U-N-T-O, that focuses on the functional functional medicine practitioner, the mental side of entrepreneurship, financial management, marketing, legal business, and so much more. And you can follow Scott and all of his projects on scottradigan.com. Scott, thanks for taking some time to come on Practice Care. My pleasure to be here. So uh, let's start where we start with a lot of guests. Just kind of fill in some more about your background. How did you get to where you are. You've told this to me before when we've talked, but it's a it's a nice long and windy road and it's interesting. And it's just, I think it's going to help people get to know you a bit better. Yeah, I'll do my best to keep it shorter, <laughs> shorter than long and windy. But um, yeah, so I, I came out of law school and started at a top 100 firm in Orlando uh, doing commercial litigation. So not healthcare initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife, who was a family medicine doctor, a DO, um, was a couple of years out of residency uh, burnt out, uh, experiencing fatigue and all these vague symptoms herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knew that as a primary care provider herself knew that she needed something different than what PCPs could offer mm-hmm. found functional medicine, called me from the first conference crying, like I need to do this. So fast forward a year later, she started a practice. Um, so our second child was four months old. And we started and our first child was two years old. So we were busy. Uh, wow. I was at the firm all day and I'd come home and at night kind of plan it out at the kitchen table as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, everything from let's come up with a name, let's figure this out. Uh, and we quickly realized that, um, you know, I wasn't equipped to handle all the healthcare regulation because I knew that there was a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So I went to a partner at my firm, healthcare partner, you know, been there a long time um, and paid him the retainer and, um, ultimately he didn't know what to do with a single. So you were still working there? Yeah. I was at the firm. I guess you brought have in... to pay for it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I paid the retainer. You sound like anybody off the street. Yeah. It's, and you know, a naive young associate, like you bring in business and that kind of eventually leads you to a partnership level. Right. Um, and 
ultimately I didn't want that later on, but um, anyway, so I brought in this business and he uh, was, you know, great attorney, no, no fault of his own, just didn't know what to do with a single doctor cash practice, functional alternative medicine. Like it wasn't a thing mm-hmm. uh, that he was familiar with. Um, and so we paid a couple thousand dollars to him, uh, to, to the firm and um, ultimately walked away with not a lot of help. Mm. Um, fast forward another year later, I'm burnt out at commercial litigation, seeking to, to get with a smaller law firm, doing entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. uh, helping entrepreneurs. And uh, a position came available at Evolution of Medicine. So I became a practice consultant there, essentially kind of selling their marketing program okay. um, for a year and a half. But in so doing, I got to talk to practitioners all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And le- once a few of them learned that I was an attorney, they were like, oh, can you help? And I would say, no, you know, yeah. it's not really what I'm doing right now. But ultimately, so you were not practicing law with when you were with evolution of medicine? Not actively, no. So Got I've it. always had my license and I was kind of just, you know, I could always go back, you know. Right. Um, it's a good fallback plan. Right. But um, yeah, so ultimately I was kind of just doing practice, practitioner support and some some sales. And discovered by talking to hundreds of doctors around the country that and other providers that there just was a need out there. People were getting documents off of the internet or writing their own or worse, kind of doing a, a both um, and not knowing where they got it from or doing stuff that sounds good. And some of them weren't bad, but most of them were pretty bad. So okay. um, <laughs> ultimately I launched Functional Lawyer to kind of just be a, hey, these are just high quality law firm quality templates mm-hmm. that you can purchase and use and be more protected. So I partnered with a law firm, uh, did a lot of self-study, continuing education on my own for mm-hmm. healthcare law and kind of launched that. Mm-hmm. I did free discovery calls where I would kind of point people towards their documents, but it ended up being an hour long, like me give you all the information I have in my head mm-hmm. and then you don't buy anything from me. And so Gee, that wasn't a successful that. Yeah. way. Yeah, you're, uh, you're it welcome. wasn't a great way but, to run yeah. a business. <laughs> But um, but the the flip side of that, the positive end of that coin was people were like, this has been so great. What happens if I have questions later? And so the light bulb went off and I developed what's uh, what we now call the membership, which is not the most creative name, but uh, is great. It's clear. For, you know, <laughs> so it's a lot of uh, pre-recorded education for things I just repeat over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes with every document I've got at Functional Learn. And we're always adding more as members request them. And then each week we do office hours, a Q&A with me, myself. Um, and so as things arise in a practice, we can kind of help you get pointed in the right direction. So that's right. that's functional lawyer. At the same time, my wife's practice was growing and um, she did a bunch of different business models and stumbled on, um, not stumbled on, but kind of like took a step back and looked at what was best for her patients um, and ended up doing a membership model. Mm-hmm. Um, filled up from zero to hundred in less than a year members mm-hmm. in her practice. And we didn't realize how insane that was, but then other doctors kept coming to me at functional learning saying, well, how does your wife do it? How is it? And they're like, well, what does she do? And I'm like, well, she works these hours and this is what she makes. And they're like, what can you teach us? <laughs> so, yeah. um, so now for the and past she's happy and her patients are happy and she finds stuff that the seven minute appointment can yeah. and on and on and on and everybody wins. Yep. Yeah, it has a life. The prices are reasonable, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Not kind of not kind of a person for um concierge or elite medicine. And so mm-hmm. um we've been now consulting other practices for a good five years um on that front. So that's kind of where all of the your titles that you read off at the beginning all kind of came right. from. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, good. Thank you for that. And um 
So let's let's get into to telemedicine and just kind of a, a clarifying question first. So um, those who you consult with, they are they only in the functional medicine world, or if anybody called you up from wherever you could you would talk to them? So functional lawyer is is largely applicable regard regardless of the uh, discipline that okay. you're using in medicine. Um, most of the laws are the same across the board. Right. Functional medicine is just kind of like a different layered approach to medicine. Right. And so, you know, uh, we'll get into it, but HIPAA applies across the board. Right. Um, most, you know, standard of care applies across the board, your scope of practice, everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so 99% of it applies. A couple of the patient agreements and then the consent for functional medicine are unique to functional sure. or alternative medicine. And so- sure. It's named functional lawyer because that's who I was trying to attract because right. that was the need in the marketplace that was needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, conventional providers could purchase templates if they wanted to. And it would make sense. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Particularly telehealth consent is standardized, and that's you would think required yeah. in every state. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, and so the yeah, uh, I wanted it to to get that out there because. We're going to turn now. I want to ask you some questions about telemedicine and getting started. And I'm going to use your book. So Scott has literally written a book. It's called The Practice of Telemedicine. Uh, it came out recently. Uh, I've read it. It's as much of like a handbook and a playbook as a book book, which I mean complimentary. Um, for, for listeners who are thinking about getting in this, you need to get this. And we'll put the link to it uh, in the show notes. But it's The Practice of Telemedicine, Scott's last name, R-A-T-T-I-G-A-N. You'll find it very easily. Um, and so let's just kind of use the book to, to structure the questions. So the first section is, it starts very nicely, definition and myths. So let's just start right there. Give us the definition of telemedicine we should all be working with. And of all the myths, I'm curious, what's the, the biggest or most common myth, you know, that, that you hear when you're talking to people? So my world is mostly um, alternative medicine, um, cash practices. Okay. <clears throat> so let's start with the definition. So telemedicine is simply medicine practice remotely using electronic means. Um, so each state simple. will have a slightly different, <laughs> well, <laughs> those are the three elements. Each state will have slightly different um, takes on it. <clears throat> Some have expressly excluded telephone audio only calls um, so that brick and mortar clinics didn't get wrapped up in the telemedicine regulations. Uh, Cause often you have to call the patient and check on them or, you know, so telephones have uh, always been part of brick and mortar practices. Okay. Others now expressly include it. Um, as as part of the practice of telemedicine mm-hmm. in their definition. So it is a state-by-state analysis, but if you just type in telemedicine laws at your state, you'll be able mm-hmm. to find the statute. There if you your state has a statute, we're here in 2023 and you know a couple of states still have nothing formally on the books. So it's kind of a newer And, and if yours does, you might want to just kind of check in every, I don't know, twice a year or something because something about it just seems to change. Yeah, at least every July 1st, most states have their legislative sessions wrapped up by then, and okay. uh, laws will take effect by July 1st. There you go. Okay. And then like a, a, a myth or two that you, you know, you find yourself dispelling more often than others, I guess. Yeah, the biggest myths are, well, I don't take insurance, so it's not really medicine. That's false. Um, <clears throat> so I gave you the definition of telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go into the definition of of medicine. Medicine, so, yeah. Um, so the practice of medicine, uh, again, is state specific, but 
essentially they're, they're all very broad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go through two examples in, in my book. Maryland uh, goes into great detail, trying to yeah. include a lot of things. Florida goes into less detail, but the courts have interpreted it broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, if if you intend to diagnose, treat, cure, prevent illness, ailment, symptom, disease, condition, real or imagined, for pay or for free, um, and that's even essentially the practice of medicine, even sometimes for free. Huh. Um, also, holding yourself out which is a legal term of art, but representing yourself as doctor when you're not um, can be interpreted as practicing medicine. So um, it's it's pretty broad, but ultimately if you are giving clinical advice to an individual based on their individual kind of presentation to you, mm-hmm. it's likely to be considered uh, clinical and practice of either medicine or your degree um, if you're within the scope of your degree. Got it. Okay. So there's the public service announcement. Yeah. Don't do any of those things unless you really mean to. <laughs> it's broader than you think. And, and yeah. sometimes in my world, people are like, well, I only do lifestyle changes or we only recommend supplements or I don't write prescriptions. And they think that that's not medicine. It is. It's still medicine. Hmm. So, okay. Um, yeah. So with that as a backdrop, a couple of myths, I mean, are the myths Maybe did you just hit one of them? Well, I don't write a prescription, so it doesn't yeah, bother me. That was one, no prescriptions, no insurance. Um, and then a very pervasive one is that you can just call yourself a health consultant and then practice anywhere you want. Um, and that's not true um, at all. If you're doing what we just talked about, diagnose, treat, cure, prevent uh, illness, ailment, symptom, disease, whether through prescriptions or not, whether through lifestyle interventions or not, uh, it's likely medicine. So calling so it- Even if you're not licensed, I'm not licensed as a doctor. If I just start doing those things enough, could I trip into, I'm now regulated as such? Have you started ordering tests on people and then interpreting those tests and then giving them, you know, clinical advice as, you know, which is what a lot of- If I could of find co- a lab to do that, I get, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of health coaching uh, is, uh, the scope of a health coach is pretty limited. But a lot of health coaches illegally are doing all that stuff. Um, okay. And so at worst, they're stepping into the licensed profession of dietetics and um, nutritionists. Mm-hmm. At Well, that's, that's well, I guess, at best from a health coach standpoint. At worst, they're practicing medicine, ordering lab yeah. tests, making protocols, yeah. suggesting interventions. Yeah. Um, so this kind of is in on par with the call myself a consultant and do whatever. I right. want, not true. In fact, practicing medicine without a license in a state where you're not licensed, or if you don't have any license, it carries criminal and civil liabilities, including jail time and, and hefty fines. Yeah. So I bet you a lot of people uh, think, well, I don't have the license or I'm not writing prescriptions, so I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people out there doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Bet you we all know somebody. Um, <laughs> hey, wait a second. Yeah. Um, So that's the first section. The next section of the book goes into, all right, let's talk about practicing telemedicine in the state in which you are licensed. Beefy chapter, but what do people need to know? Like, what's the essence that you think they need to know, the rest of which they can get when they read? Yeah, the the two biggest takeaways on this one are um, a lot of people want to do virtual only practices. So um, the two big questions are, can I establish care virtually? 
And then are there any other things that would prevent me from practicing virtually only? Um, yes. So there are, and you can imagine the situations, but I'll give you a concrete example in a yeah. second. There are situations where telemedicine is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So the, the general rule of thumb and check with your state, but the general rule of thumb is if, if you can um, establish care, if you can meet the standard of care uh, via telemedicine, then you can establish care and continue care via telemedicine only um, indefinitely if you can meet the standard of care. Right. Um, one way it wouldn't meet the standard of care is if you broke your wrist and you came to me, your orthopedic surgeon on Zoom and said, hey, I think I broke my wrist. Can you give right. it a look? Uh, no, I'd want to touch it. I'd want to make sure it's not a tendon or a ligament or a bone right. or a muscle, something like that. So right. that would necessitate an in-person visit. Um, so that wouldn't be appropriate. The other consideration for virtual only practices are controlled substance prescribing. Yeah, talk more about, I was reading about this and I'll, I'll admit I got a little lost in it, uh, but but so go into it. Okay, yeah, yeah it is a little so bit clear it up. Yeah, yeah, it's necessarily so, but yeah. Yeah, here's, here's the rule. Before you can prescribe controlled substance, you have to see them in person. Okay. That's the rule. It's a long chapter. There's a lot of nuance That's, to it, but ultimately- yeah. Uh, it's sort of, and I, I made it short on purpose. You're welcome. It's the, the main body of the book is about 85 pages long. Mm -hmm. um, and, but this chapter needed a lot of explaining. Yeah. So in 2008, the Ryan Height Act started to regulate online prescribing, and they were trying to prevent opioids being just kind of dished out over the internet. Congress directed the DEA to come up with a telemedicine kind of registration that legitimate de like providers could do to register and prescribe via telemedicine, yeah. controlled substances. They haven't done it. It's 15 years later. They still haven't done it, even after a 2018 law directing them to do it. So two different congressional laws have directed them to do it. They haven't done it. Now we are, as we record this, it's almost the end of the public health emergency. Yeah. The... DEA has come out with some limited rules on how you can kind of maybe prescribe via telemedicine, but it's limited to 30 days um, in total. And then after that, you have to see the patient in person. So ultimately, the takeaway from that whole chapter is before you can prescribe controlled substance, you have to see them in person. Unless yeah. you've established care, you can write up to 30 days, but you have to be checking the um, practitioner database in each state if they have it for controlled yeah. substance prescribing. Yeah. So there are a few more nuances to that kind of temporary, not temporary, but the new rule that the DEA just came out with. Okay. And the worst part is DEA has come out and said that that, that these two kind of temporary rules, not temporary, but they're they're newer, um, satisfy their requirement to kind of make a path for legitimate providers to register and prescribe via telemedicine. So the long and the short of it is for prescribing controlled substances, you have to see the patient in person. You have to see them in person. Okay. Yeah. I'm wondering, not controlled substances uh, issue, but just so you you know you gave an example of uh, very extreme example. If your arm is broken, obviously you have to go in, and if you are something where it's just a conversation, and that's the nature of standard of care, obviously you don't. I'm wondering what you're seeing with what I'll call hybrid. So I had an example. This was five or six years ago. I had to go to an allergist. I had an explosion, and I had to go. And so I went in for all the testing, it made sense. And then and this is pre-COVID, pre-everything. Um, at four weeks, my prescriptions refilled. And then at six weeks, she wanted to see me again. So, and there's this app that we can communicate through. And so at four weeks, I um, 
I text her through the app, can you, can you do, can you, you know, call in the refills? And I start, we start a conversation. Oh, I feel really good. And none of this occurs to me without, and, and we go back and forth in real time. And then towards the end of it, 10 or 15 minutes later, it hits me. I wonder if I have to go back at all. I mean, I feel really good. The prescriptions are getting filled. So I sent that in. Do you need to see me in two weeks at all? Pregnant pause from her. And she comes back, she says, well, I guess not, but please make an appointment in the future. And I said to myself, oh, she should have gotten paid for that. That was the visit. There would have been nothing else that was done. She was just checking in. She got nothing. And and to me, I, my own term is a hybrid, right? Because same patient, two different types of appointments. You know, are you, when I throw that at you, what what's your, because I can imagine a lot of practices have, you know, your, your wife probably has, there's times where you gotta, you gotta come in and examine and then there's follow-ups, maybe not, but there's a lot of, it seems to me where that's the case or that's the nature of standard care. So you were and messaging it in an, in an app? Well, or it, instead of the app, couldn't we have had a Zoom? You know, couldn't have been set up where it's like, you know what, just call me, you know, and I've had a few others where we've done the follow-up, but man, it's like, it's hard to schedule and nobody's really sure, you don't know in advance and, so then, you know, so I, I got what I wanted. She got screwed. Um, yeah. And she was just very nice doing, she should have gotten compensated for it. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. A couple of things kind of jump out at me there. So that, that chat-based interaction you have with her is also telemedicine. Um, so it's a subset called asynchronous telemedicine, yeah. meaning you send a, a text. She can think for as long as she wants. It's not live in real time. You guys happen to be both on the chat at the same time, but it's still kind of back and forth. It actually was asynchronous. It was just, she just happened. <clears throat> I guess she was just there and replying. Yeah. Yeah. So things like email or text message um, are forms of asynchronous communications, though I wouldn't use either of those unless they're in like a HIPAA compliant, you know, sure. EMR. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's one thing that jumped out. Yeah. And a lot of times um, fee-for-service practices don't get compensated for those in-between mm -hmm. encounters. And so that's a large part of the reason why uh, for kind of longer term um, interventions like lifestyle uh, medicine that functional and integrative medicine is programs um, and memberships make a lot more sense because there's a lot more handholding in between mm -hmm. and so in my wife's practice she gets essentially compensated for that with the payment structure we have put in place um, and then yeah another thing I wrote down while you were kind of going through that scenario is that <clears throat> insurance rates may be different. And so depending on in-person visits or um, telemedicine visits, and then those are called parity rules. I'm hearing parody whispers of that. I'm in Illinois. I'm hearing whispers of that from a couple of my clients. And you got to be kidding me. It's stupid. Yeah. So there's two types of parity. So if you're in the insurance world, um, there is um, coverage parity, meaning sometimes there's a law that means the insurance companies must cover the same visit, whether it's in person or at home via telemedicine. Yeah. And then there's service parity. I might even have these phrases mixed up because I don't deal with insurance every day. But uh, oh, oh, yes. so, so they yeah. are mixed up. Yeah. So check out the book. Uh, the other the other type of parity is uh, basically compensation parity, meaning the reimbursement that the doctor's office receives is the same whether it's in person or telemedicine. So yeah. uh, those aren't always the case. Not every state has any parity at all. Some have one, but not the other. Uh, they would usually have coverage parity, but not um, service parity or vice versa. I forget yeah. the phrases there. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, 
uh, where it must be covered, but it may not have to be covered at the same rate. Yeah. Um, so that's a another kind of thing that jumped out to me when you were describing your interaction with your with your doctor. Yeah, and so another client, they're like, you know, we because I was asking about, you know, what about telemedicine? Should we talk about that more in our marketing? Yeah, not so much because the, the the coverage is like half of the same visit if it were in person versus tele. That's it's so unfortunate. So much. To, I mean, if it's clinically appropriate, why not? It's easier on everybody. And anyway, yeah. But know, know the rule, know the definitions, know what's going on. Um, cool. And then the the last part of your book goes into, all right, now you want to start, what about practicing across state lines? So you live in one state. Obviously, you practice in one state. You might be regional or national, whatever it is. It just seems like it gets even more complicated. Of course, it's doable. It's just there's more to know. Um, so break that down for us. Kind of give us the the intro to that. Yeah, practicing across state lines, the rule, the number one takeaway is you must be licensed where the patient is located because where the patient is located is where the visit is being deemed to occur. And that is consistent across every state. Okay. Um, so um, I get I get a lot of people that are like, I want to practice across the whole country. I have Instagram followers that reach out to me all the time. Um, and you, you, there is a path to do it, and I outline it in the book. There's there's several paths to do it, uh, some of which are easier than others. But as we talked about earlier, if you're accepting patients from other states and you're not licensed there, that's a, a crime essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you get if you get caught, it's a, it is a crime, uh, whether you get caught or not. Um, right. But um, <laughs> not only is it you know against the law, but um, your malpractice may not cover you in other states. So. Say right. you accept a patient from uh, Washington state and the, you end up harming them in some way. Mm -hmm. Now they have put a complaint to the Washington medical board <clears throat> and your malpractice will not help you with that either to defend it or to pay any settlements or judgments against you. So um, there's people and people in my kind of uh, niche are like, well, it's low risk medicine. It's fine. Well, there's still a lot. Off you go, yeah. man. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and and I I'll, I say my spiel all the time because yeah, I have this conversation three or four times a week. Um, but and I say ultimately it's up to the your risk tolerance. So, yeah. um, I was just reading that Vanderbilt with all his railroads uh, was breaking the law every time he signed a new contract, and he was just really? like, "Who cares? I've got all the power. It doesn't matter." Yeah. Um, but if you don't have Vanderbilt's power. Um, then you might want to follow the rules more. But I say all that to say, you know, it's up to your risk tolerance. Um, mm -hmm. It's your license. You paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. Um, a disciplinary kind of ding on your license sticks around for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, prevents you from getting licensed in other states. Uh, and so there are now, as of the end of 2022, um, and I preface it that way because uh, the legislatures around the country are getting together right now in the spring of 2023. Yeah. Uh, but as of the end of 2022, there are 16 states that allow you to have a telemedicine only registration or license. What that means is, in the the most liberal version of that, mm -hmm. is you just register with the Department of Health. And I'm thinking of Florida now. The mm -hmm. policymakers call it the Florida model. Um, <clears throat> you register with the Florida Department of Health. They you send them your license verification from your home state. 
And then within usually 48 hours, you know, some of my clients have said it takes just two days. Uh, you can start practicing in Florida. There's really no limitations other than you can't come down and, and see people in person in Florida. Okay. So from out of state, you can practice following standard of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's it. That, Florida doesn't charge you any money for it. Now you may oh. have to pay your licensing agency to kind of send the records over. Sure. But it doesn't cost a dollar in Florida yet. Um, other states, so there's 15 more that have a similar program. Some of them have more restrictions on what you can and can't do mm-hmm. in that state. Um, but I've laid out step-by-step how to do it for each of those states uh, in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, there will be updates to it because four years ago, there were just nine states. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are 16. I imagine more will come because last summer, 2022, the Uniform Law Commission, which is just a bunch of people that make recommendations to make laws kind of uniform across the country, they adopted, kind of passed, basically a recommended the Florida model to every state around the country. So okay. uh, between that special telemedicine um, registration or license, sometimes it's called, and interstate medical licensure compacts, which go from MD and DO all the way down to kind of PTs. Um, there's, there's no reason why you can't get a license in a state where you want to be licensed. That one covers the the MDDO version of that covers 39 states. Right. So, um, ultimately who's the most restrictive state, at least as of right now, would you say for, for being able to practice, uh, you live in state one from out of state, from out of state. Yeah. Yeah. Many of them. So there are 11 that are not part of that compact. Um, California is probably one and okay. Texas is probably the other. Um, Florida is shocking because typically we're very restrictive, at least for lawyers. We don't reciprocate with any other, uh, okay. bar associations. Um, but it seems like pretty open for that one. Um, but California is, you need a full license there. Many of the other states, you'll need a full license. And that's where, um, either the interstate medical licensure compact will come through or, um, or you can just apply directly. You go through the whole application process, um, then you get a full license there. Got now, it. people want to practice around the country without having to go through all that stuff just because they don't like it and they don't want to, but that's the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry that you have to either focus your marketing in your state or states of licensure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I actually even cover it in the book and I recommend this all the time, just start creating like a, a course or a book yourself that you can offer these people you know, yep. I know you're unique and you're the best one in your field that everybody from around the world should come see you. Yeah. But there's well, probably someone in your community. Them, to buy yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can still impart your knowledge and have impact and, and do all that through publishing um, right. educational materials. Right. Right. Which is one area that we didn't get into uh, just in the interest of kind of time, right? Because we could talk a lot about this, but also in the yeah. interest of time, a um, couple of closing questions I ask every guest. The first one is, is there anything you think I should have asked you, but just did not in the context of what we talked about? I did think we covered it all. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's a valid thing, answer. <laughs> the other thing, no, the last thing is um, specifically for controlled substances. As you go around getting your licenses in these other states, mm-hmm. uh, I, even though your DEA registration is nominally a federal registration, each state may require you to register as a DEA prescriber in that state as well. So um, you didn't ask me about that, so mm. I thought I'd throw that in there. Perfect. Okay. And then the other wrap-up question is, 
So we've caught a listener's attention. Um, they've been thinking about starting or adding telemedicine. And right when they're done listening, where should they start? What would you recommend they do? Something tangible they could just do, you know? Um, well, the, I mean, find an EMR or purchase the uh, HIPAA compliant version of video conferencing from Zoom has one for healthcare. Okay. I'm sure there are others out there like Doxy um, is another company that does it too. Um, find one of those, get mm -hmm. a telemedicine consent in place. I have a template, a functional lawyer, or, you know, maybe call your malpractice carrier for one. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, make sure that your visits will meet the standard of care. And then mm -hmm. if you take insurance, you may want to call your in-network insurance providers and ask them what the codes are, what the reimbursement rates are right. for the visits you're trying to have. Right. Figure out where you're licensed. Make sure yeah. you're asking people where they're where the state they're in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets tricky. People are like, well, what happens when they go on vacation? And this is all sort of gray zone stuff where um, you can kind of try to limit your risk. I mean, that those once in a while things are okay. Um, but if you're building your practice and I often give the example, if you're, if you're on the border of like Ohio and Kentucky and 45% of your patients come from the other state, mm -hmm. you know, you probably want to get licensed in the other state. Right. Um, right. or if a significant subset of your patients are coming from out of state, you may want to, you know, look at those states strategically. And if it's, you know, two or three, just get those two or three licenses. You don't need 52, although yeah, I know doctors, I know doctors have 52 licenses, um, but you definitely don't need all 52 licenses. Yeah. 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 And if you've got a following in the other state, why wouldn't you do it anyway? Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, Scott, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, shedding a little bit of light on, on this topic. Um, it is old to say that it is a new topic or a hot topic, but it is definitely evolving, definitely changing rapidly. And if you're thinking of getting into this, you need to have your finger on the pulse in some way. And Scott, as a resource, I think is a good way to do that. So thank you for coming on. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, it's yeah. a young, young area of the law. That's it. The law typically moves slowly. This is moving really fast. So it's Pretty just fast. trying to catch up to the industry. Right. Which doesn't always make it better, but it's faster. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Scott Radigan is with Functional Lawyer. You can find him on scottradigan.com. We'll put all the contact information that you supplied in the show notes, as long as a link to your book. Um, and a couple of other points before we uh, wrap up for the day. First, if you're someone like Scott or I that serves private practice owners, or if you are a private practice owner yourself, and either way, you've got some experience that you think private practice owners would benefit from, we really want you to come on Practice Care and talk about it in the show notes for Scott's episode and every episode. There's a link, a couple of questions, tell us what's on your mind so that we can get you scheduled as soon as possible. And finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Practice Care on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you go, we are there, all the major platforms. Subscribe so that you can keep up with new episodes. Thanks very much and until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.